Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. want to welcome you to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we have Marissa Murray. Marissa is an executive coach. She's also an author of a book that's just not not too long been released called Blind Spots. Also just launched an AI app, which is very exciting, called Feedback Friend. Is the CEO of Leaderly International. How are you today, Marissa? I'm great. How are you, Mark? I'm good. It's almost it's almost like having a little heat wave here in the UK. July and August was absolutely like miserable for a summer. And then September, we're finding it's in the 30s. So it's very warm today. What about what about for you? We're the same. It's uh, in the 30s and it's not supposed to be in September. (laughs) So um, but yeah, it's been it's been a hot summer, I think, for a lot of regions. It has, you know, and uh, it's always important, I think, you know, for us to take time out, which I think, you know, when we talk about leadership, which I'm really excited to get into uh, today with you, Marissa, uh, obviously you're the CEO of Leadly International, and obviously there's a big emphasis on on leadership. And I think, you know, one of the things that I'm really mindful of is the fact that we focus a lot on self-leadership and also leading others. Uh, but one thing that I actually wanted to get into about is about actually leading with the ability to make change so it's not just leading self or leading others but why why is leading change you know so important yeah absolutely well i actually see it a little bit as um almost like a hierarchy of leadership uh you can't really you can't get to leading change without mastering leading self and leading others uh, but I do think that, you know, leading change is kind of the pinnacle of what leadership really is. I mean, if we're not, if we're not instigating positive change, then what are we leading? You know, where are we going? Um, so I just really see the distinction between leading others, which is obviously assembling people towards a vision and leading change to really, you know, being more comfortable with the unknown, more entrepreneurial, more creative, and also more reflective and wise about what is the right path and how are we influencing the future and what, you know, you start to think about things just much more broadly around future generation and longer term and things like ethics. And, you know, they start to kind of become more and more important uh, as you as you move your way up the hierarchy of, of leadership. Yeah, so I think it often starts with self-awareness, doesn't it? So in order for us to know where we need to grow, and where others need to grow, we have to go on that journey first, knowing that actually, you know, if we want to see a difference in the world, we have to acknowledge and take responsibility that we have to see a difference in ourselves. Absolutely. It's so impossible. I mean, there's there's this wonderful uh, thing about human connection where we all can kind of detect authenticity we can detect misalignment and it's it's important it's important in terms of kind of our guiding principles of how we uh discern between positive intention and negative intention 
And I think that it, whenever you haven't done the work on yourself around the reflection and around what you're bringing to a meeting, a situation, I remember one of my uh, first coaches, because I came to coaching after a, a, a career with a number of corporate leadership roles, I fell in love with coaching because I had these incredible coaching experiences. And one of the coach, one of my first coaches talked to me about this idea of like playing a role, putting on a role. And she said to me, stop being what you think you're supposed to be in a meeting and be what the meeting needs. You know, that sort of that whole awareness of, you know, I'm not just going to play my role. I'm going to really attune to what the meeting needs and I'm going to bring that. And so it just, you know, when you talk about leading change, it's, it's reflective, it's intuitive. It's also really deliberate in terms of flexing your leadership style to meet the needs of, you know, of the stakeholders that you're participating with. Mm. I thoroughly enjoyed your TED talk, by the way. I, I, I watched that and really enjoyed you're a fantastic storyteller. Got a great, you got a great way to kind of really make people like kind of see and feel everything that you're expressing. I really, really enjoyed that. Tell, tell people a little bit about that, about that TED talk. Cause I definitely think that after they've listened to this, they need to go over and, and watch your TED talks. It was so, it was so good. Oh, sure. That's great. That was uh, really an interesting process. I, 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 the TED Talk is about this idea of iterating. Um, and I, I guess I'm a former engineer, so I kind of understand iteration. I kind of understand product development, but I'd never really applied this idea of iterating to my leadership. I had always kind of grown up in that school of, you know, you're proactive as much as you can, and then you're reactive when you need to be. And that dynamic was always really stressful because being reactive is actually quite stressful and proactivity is great when you have visibility to 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 where you're headed, but it's very stressful when you know that things keep changing and and so I kind of needed a new way of being a leader and I, I kind of made up this word interactive, which is basically the idea of iterating your way and it was very helpful in terms of. Um, removing the stress associated with moving towards an objective when you're thinking about iterating. And I guess it's sort of a subtle thing, but it's really, it really helped me. And um, I wanted to teach this and I, I worked very closely with a, a TEDx coach to help me. And she kept saying, stop teaching, tell a story. People don't want to be taught. They want to learn. <laughs> yeah. And so I would come with my, sort of talk on what I wanted to teach. And she would say, now tell me a real live story from your past that exhibit is that. So I had a lot of help actually to weave together stories. So I'm glad you enjoyed the storytelling. I must admit it wasn't my first draft <laughs> um, because it is a little bit of work, but it's, it is really true. And that's important for leaders too. I talk to my leaders a lot about their communication style. And, you know, you are trying to keep you're trying to change a neural pathway in someone else's mind and story is is the way we've educated we, we naturally educate ourselves and so i do encourage everyone to just think about what are those pinnacle stories i actually encourage my clients to have a story log some of their best stories and just have a little log that says like you know what's the moral of the story and then what are some details and pull on those stories when they're trying to engage uh, and share messages because it's so much more powerful in terms of their ability to 
impact others. Yeah, it's beautiful because, you know, we don't actually get defensive about somebody else's story. Uh, and actually, when we're talking about change, it's almost like if if we want to influence people through change, and really the only way we can influence is through that trust and through like safety, you know, mm-hmm. storytelling is that beautiful way of, of doing that, isn't it? Which therefore, you know, it really works because now nobody's defensive. They're now like pliable. Their mind is open. And then you're able to influence them because you're speaking from from your own truth, right? Absolutely. And the other thing that I find really interesting about it is when we tell a story, sometimes I'll tell a story and the learning that the individual extracts is often more rich than even what I intended with the story. So Mm. I think stories also help people find their, their nuggets in them much more effectively than if you were sort of laying out a bullet point list of what they should be doing. I mean, maybe many of those bullet points are not applicable to them and there's just these little subtleties. So sometimes I will tell a story and my clients will take a learning out of it and and they'll be like, I learned this from you. And I'll be like, you did not learn that from me. You came up with that magically all on your own. And it's phenomenal. It's way better than what I could have, you know, intended to share with you. So. Yeah. And then there's that other level of, um, you know, we're constantly telling ourselves a story too. You know, what, what is the story that that we're telling ourselves that has an impact on our leadership and the way that we change as well? Has that been something that you've also kind of really seen the, the opportunity and benefit from? Oh, for sure. And, and Blind Spots, my, my latest book, is basically dedicated to this idea of what are the things that we either tell ourselves or just the automatic sort of habits and behaviors we've accumulated generally for good reason because they worked for us at one point um, that are no longer working for us anymore and these are sort of you know they're stories in your mind i like to call them algorithms sometimes because i'm an engineer so i just think i i've kind of an algorithm has been programmed and it's kind of running without my awareness and uh, it impacts the way I do everything. And so Blind Spots, the book is, is all about a bunch of client experiences, many client experiences around how do you kind of unpack and look at those things. And really, it's a process of sort of like noticing and, and looking at it and then realizing, like, do I still want to believe that or think that or, or say that about myself or, or what is new? Because I think that sometimes if we if we left, leave our brain to just sort of accumulate, it's not upgraded, it's not refreshed. Uh, and so that's really um, very, very important, the stories we tell ourselves and the stories that we don't even, we maybe told ourselves a decade ago. Mm. Yeah, it's so important. I almost want to start a revolution, don't we, Marissa, where people are really challenging like their beliefs and, and kind of like just taking due diligence of, you know, why do I believe what I do? And is it is it still serving me? Or or actually is it, you know, is it actually, you know, preventing me from from taking new ground and, and experiencing, you know, new things? Yeah. And and people are, you know, people are worried that they can't change. Sometimes we don't want to see it, right? Because we're like, you know, we 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 think you know, I'm, I, you feel bad that you're doing something that's having a negative impact on somebody and but you don't even know where it comes from and you're worried that you can't change. So there's there's all kinds of fears around unpacking, unpacking those things. There's, 
you know, fear of knowing, there's fear of not knowing, there's fear of not being able to change. And I think that uh, it's all really possible if we just sort of we're patient with ourselves and we really understand. I like to study neuroscience every time, every, every from every angle. It's such an emerging field, so we barely understand so much. But I always just think about, you know, we absolutely can change. It's it just we got to be a little patient with ourselves because many of the things we're trying to change were imprinted pretty young and pretty consistently and pretty repetitively. I mean, the brain doesn't do things that it that it thinks don't serve you. It just does things that it picked up because it was useful at one point. Mm. Now, prepare, plan, and predict is something that's given you a, a lot of success, uh, Marissa. Yeah. Is this yeah. something that you're still practicing or have you found maybe another level to your own leadership with regards to this principle? Well, I think that that is a, you can't, you know, management matters is is a chapter in my in my Work Smart book, which is kind of like, fundamentally, you know, management tactics really matter. And uh, prepare, plan and predict is kind of a management tactic. But as you become more and more senior, and I work mostly with very senior executives, you're, you're actually the enabler of the people that are now preparing, planning and predicting. So it shifts from, you know, the master of the things from an execution perspective to the, you know, the, the leader, the influencer, the guide or the mentor, the all these kind of other influential roles for, you know, the, the level down. And that's, I've always found that to be a really interesting shift because you go from almost like having a little bit of a stick where you can kind of push things forward to kind of a wet noodle where you, you kind of have to just like suggest and encourage and because you know that if you if you try to push people to do things in a way that they don't want to do them or they don't enjoy them, the performance that you're going to get out of your out of your team just completely erodes. So it's uh, so yeah, I do I still think that it's sort of you know it's kind of some of those fundamental project management type activities where you get really good at that. But at some point, you have to kind of become a little ungood at it and get people uh, that are working for you to be really good at it. Mm. And obviously, you're working with a lot of like different companies and people. Uh, yeah. And there's people in leadership, you know, in, in most of these company that, companies that you're working for. What what happens if 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 you have a leader that may have like the expertise, but perhaps not the influence? Why, why does that happen and, and how do we influence better within within those roles? Well, I think that um, there, it can happen for all kinds of reasons. I mean, sometimes um, sometimes leaders come into a position because of their technical expertise and they are they've delivered amazing results, but they will get to uh, a leadership position and they'll have some they'll have missed some steps in terms of hiring people really well, equipping people really well, enabling people really well, motivating people really well. And there's, you know, some depending on the intensity of the role, they might get away with it for a while. Uh, but ultimately, what happens is that's where people get limited, where they kind of hit a ceiling where they, where they can't go any higher, and they may have ambitions to have more impact or more scale or more. Uh, and they and they really won't be seen as ready for the next level. And so I work with uh, leaders 
you know, in a bunch of different contexts. Sometimes it's because they're in a new, really challenging role. Sometimes it's because they've moved to a new company and they're trying to integrate. And sometimes it's because they're in a succession plan that they're 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 being groomed for another role. Those are some of the main triggers for why I work with people. All the people I work with, the companies are investing in, so they care, you know, they care about their development. And really what I do with them is I try to unpack through stakeholder interviews, what are the things we need to unlock? And I really do stakeholder interviews, uh, which is basically like a version of a 360 feedback. Uh, although I, with my executive clients, I interview people. So it's not a survey, I interview people uh, because you, I, I have to do just that. I have to figure out the why, the why is there, why is there potentially a block? And it could be for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, you just, you got to connect, you got to know your team. People cannot follow who they don't trust and they can't trust who they don't know. Mm. So sometimes people are just not really knowable. They have a little bit of a, of a professional, you know, way of being that feels hard to penetrate, hard to connect with. And nobody's going to say, you know, I don't trust them because I don't know them, but they will behave differently in terms of the amount that they'll commit to the activity or the amount of feedback they'll give the person or all kinds of just sort of collateral damage associated with some of these fundamental things. So I work with them to kind of unpack like, what is it? And it can be a variety of different um, uh, causes. And once we kind of know the causes, it's all about experimenting with different approaches. It's, it's all about like, okay, let's just do these things just slightly differently. And that's why I work with people over many months because we've got to experiment and we've got to find their own way of doing that. Because, because again, you, you can't just like wear someone else's clothes to work, you know, it, it really has to fit you. It's complex, isn't it? Because it's like, we're all individual and the way that you learn and the way that I learn may be different. And then as a leader, you may have your own leadership style and, and we often love the way we want to be loved. We tend to lead the way we want to be led. But then exactly. when we when we realize that actually, you know, you need to speak to somebody this way and it wouldn't work for somebody else, really? you really have to learn the language of the person that you're you're trying to influence. Absolutely. There's so much versatility required of a leader because you're trying to connect with through someone else's mind, right? And so you're trying to connect. And there's and there are lots of different styles. Uh, and the more you're able to be versatile and and support the preferences of other people, like sometimes, you know, we get into this kind of debate around, well, they shouldn't expect me to recognize them all the time, or they shouldn't expect, you know, we can kind of get a little bit like, you know, justified in our in our preferred style, we want mm. people to be in our preferred style. Mm. And it's, it's, I always sort of encourage my clients, well, why wouldn't you aligned to their preferences. I mean, you know, if someone was coming for dinner, we'd ask them if they there was food they didn't like, and we wouldn't serve it if they didn't like it, right? So mm. leadership is a little bit like that. What are people's preferences? In order to get the best of them, one of the questions I ask when I do stakeholder interviews, a lot of times is I say, just for your collaboration, you know, what can this person do more or differently to get the best out of you? And that's what a leader is really trying to do. They're trying to maximize the collective intelligence of all the people that are engaging with, right? And so in order to do that, we kind of have to, you know, it's it's almost like uh, now, you know, the trend around marketing, right? Came, went from marketing to masses and to groups to the marketing of one. And leadership is a bit like that as well. 
Yeah, I quite enjoy that. I mean, a, a lot of like the work that I do tends to be more on a one-to-one really than than teams, but I always find it fascinating with sports, you know, and we have a phrase called aces in places, which is obviously you're, you're looking at finding uh, the right people for, for the right position and allowing them to have the autonomy because actually that will be for the greater good and, and the collective. Uh, yes. And it's really, it is a skill in itself to have have self-confidence in your own ability because the amount of like leaders that may even take credit like uh, for somebody else's work because of their own insecurity like it's so important that we have like our own kind of like self-awareness but you you talked about well I heard a word align which I think you know alignment for me seems to be key like in leadership and Mm -hmm. and I think you know the question is how do we align ourselves better with ourselves and others how how do we go about that Marissa? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that I, I think we all have this dream that we would have a meeting and we would say our piece and everyone would be aligned and then they would be aligned for months. Like we, we have this dream. And the reality is alignment is, is almost like driving a car on a really windy road. You, you're constantly aligning the car with the road and the road is turning. And so alignment is sort of a continuous thing. And when we think, are we aligned or not aligned in this binary way? It, it's not like that. It's really, it's this constant nudging to make sure because there's a lot of changes and everybody's role is a little bit, a little bit different. And the other thing that I find is that a lot of times our brain gets, gets really good at seeing misalignment and so we're very focused on the misalignment, which is exactly what you tell, you know, a child, a, a teenager not to do when they're driving, right? You tell them, watch the road, watch where you want to go. Uh, don't look at the sides, don't look at all the things you can hit because you'll run into them, right? And so sometimes we get into this habit where we're always seeing the misalignment as opposed to sitting there and realizing, well, where are we all aligned? And then where are the nuances that we need? Like, where are these little tweaks that we need? And so I really encourage people to, I actually ask them, I mean, I talk about this in my TED talk, to speak in what I call the three A's, the first three A's, appreciate, align, augment. So whenever we're giving feedback to each other, you start with an appreciation. So I, I, you know, I appreciate that this is a really critical issue and I really appreciate that you brought it up. Like something simple, something legit, something that you really feel. And then I align with, and you force the brain to think, I align that, this needs to be a priority. I align that you need resources for this. And then you and then you add. But I would add that we have budget constraints, the resources you're looking for are on other projects. And so 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 you're kind of like mixing up more information. You're not debating, you're not fighting. You're saying, I align with all these things, and then there's these other things. And then the other person sort of has to say, okay, well, I appreciate, yeah, these resources are working on this other stuff. And I align that that's probably not the right answer. And I would add like, maybe we could do this. And you know, like, it's just kind of like, it's just sort of this iterative cycle where we keep remembering that we're on the same team. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? How we all have a responsibility uh, to ourselves, but also to those around us in order to really bring out like like the best i've realized because i've been i've been listening to people for the last 12 months mainly those that are actually employed uh talk about how their boss doesn't even ask like how, like how they are mm. so how how does the way we talk to each other have a, 
a direct impact on the way we are led and, and what do we need to be doing more of you know as as leaders if we're in those positions of authority and responsibility to really enable people to feel like seen and heard it seems so obvious and so basic and yet you know to to like people is like like a key ingredient of of leadership but why do we have people that don't even like people that are that are responsible yeah i i actually I kind of hate the expression of you don't have to like people, you have to work with them. Like there's, there was, there's this kind of, I think what happened was there was a little bit of um, tolerance to this idea that we didn't have to like people at work. And, and that's probably like from the time of, you know, manufacturing where you, you went in and you, you had to kind of do your screw. And if the guy next to you was annoying you by the way he was hammering, like you didn't have to like him, but you just had to do your part and he had to do his part. So it's, it's like an ancient way of thinking when we talk about, you know, manufacturing environments where every discrete task is more independent. Now we're in knowledge workers. We're in, we're, you know, what we have to do is actually get we all have to, there's no single person that has sufficient knowledge to be able to accomplish anything interesting, mm. anything interesting today. And so now what we have to do is we actually have to connect our brains and we have, and I subscribe, I do not subscribe to the fact that you don't have to like people to be able to connect with their brains. You absolutely have to like them. And so I encourage my clients to let themselves like people. People are very, very likable if we let ourselves like them. But it's another thing where we we sometimes we're, it's almost like we're we've bought into this idea that we don't need to like people we need to hold them accountable and we need to get the most out of them it's just it's very cold and it's not good for knowledge workers it just doesn't work for knowledge workers uh, it, there's lots of studies around collective intelligence so I do work with executive teams and I always tell them about the collective intelligence so they'll do individual IQ tests on a team and they'll have sort of the average of the IQ of the team. And then they'll give the team an IQ, a collective IQ test, a group IQ test. And some teams erode IQ. So their IQ of their group is lower, which is really sad, right? It's lower mm. than the individual IQs. And some teams augment IQ, which shouldn't even be possible, right? It shouldn't be possible that the IQ of a group is much higher than the IQ of the individual individuals, but it is true. And the difference between those two groups is exactly what you just said. It's inclusion, it's social safety, it's caring about each other, it's knowing each other. So there is, so it's like the only way that brains will connect to augment each other's intelligence is if we allow ourselves to like each other and to care about each other. And that starts with the simple connections of saying hi and enjoying people and really seeing the things that are delightful about people. Mm. I think one of the challenges, obviously we were the other end now of like COVID, but obviously the, the one thing that I feel like COVID really kind of threw a spanner in the works with society was like obviously isolation, right? Yes. So, you know, we're all isolated. And for me, that was the hardest uh, part of COVID, like even yeah. myself. Yeah. Now, obviously, some people are now working like remotely. We've got more hybrid working. And actually, we've got less physical involvement with our colleagues. Yeah. Um, how how can we like self-comfort and self-help ourselves during these periods, you know, of isolation? Because we're talking about, you know, how if we're a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, we have care. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are, are checking in on us, but if we don't have that because we work remotely, how, how can we then kind of bridge that gap and almost find some comfort for ourselves? Yeah, we absolutely. I mean, one of the five wellness, I have like five wellness practices, and one of them is human connection. So the others are predictable, right? Good food, sleep, meditation, um, but, uh, but an exercise. And the fifth one is human connection. And I wrote that book in, I think, 2013, maybe something like that. And I saw it like, you know, in during the pandemic, just people really suffering. And we don't even really realize we're suffering, but we just are lacking human connection. And uh, so what I what what I would recommend is um, number one is like, yes, habit change is hard. So everyone got used to different, you know, remote work and there's things that are good about it and there's things that are not great about it. But what's really hard is habit change. And so to the degree that people can be together in person, it makes a huge difference for themselves, not just for the employer. I mean, there's a little bit of a dynamic of is the, is the company going to make me come into work? Well, it's like, well, maybe it would be good for me to connect with my colleagues, right? Like what make choices for yourself around what kind of environments, knowing that human connection is an accelerator to trust. It's an accelerator to collaboration. And so I encourage people as much as possible to make sure that they're finding that balance and then if you're not able to have human connection with you know with your colleagues or you can't be together with your colleagues there there are just the small things that we just described around creating intimacy in videos i mean you can see the difference in oxytocin levels when they measure oxytocin levels oxytocin is kind of the the connection hormone they can see the difference between if you're on video or if you're on phone or if you're on email right and you're connecting with someone you love like if i write a love email to my husband it doesn't do the same thing for him as if i call him or if i video and all the better if we're together so i think it's a question of try to how to maximize that sense of connection and then the other piece is make sure that in your environment you're getting sufficient human connection uh, with with you know people in your city or in your home or in your in, in your environment uh, because it is a human need we are not we are pack animals like we live in packs we there's a reason why we live in you know in urban dense environments and a lone wolf doesn't survive right mm. really doesn't survive so we are pack animals and we do need that I agree um, before we uh, bring this into land I want to ask you about your AI app uh, feedback yes. friend um how exciting was that journey of creating an app and and what is the premise of feedback friend sure absolutely feedback friend is a place where you can go it's just an online website where you can go and you can put in the names of five to 15 people emails and it will automatically send them a survey and a little chat a little uh about your strengths your development areas advice they have for you and the AI consolidates those themes into um, for free into t- five top strengths and five development areas. And uh, I got excited when I was starting to play with the new AI generative language models because generally I find stakeholder feedback is just like such an incredible key to awareness and everything in leadership development begins with awareness. And usually 360 surveys and or um, interviews like I do are reserved for very senior leaders. 
And young people are hungry for feedback. And so our new managers are hungry for feedback. And also there's areas of our lives where we're hungry for feedback that we don't get access for feedback. For instance, some of my sort of some of my very senior elite clients after we do a corporate program they'll ask me to do interviews with their family interviews with their kids like they're curious right or how can i show up differently like so people that get a chance to sort of understand that we have witnesses all around us and it's kind of crazy to not ask them you know they notice when we're stressed they notice when we're having a bad day they notice when and and it's kind of crazy to not ask them because we don't notice right so so I do, I have this sort of passion for getting people feedback. And when I, when I started to learn about the generative AI models, I thought like, this is amazing because it's a very costly process that I do. And, you know, is it perfect? No, but it does a really good job of summarizing the key themes that come out and summarizing them in a way that's very safe because it doesn't transcribe, you know, the historical digital 360s would just transcribe what everybody said and then everybody would guess what everybody said. And, you know, it was just it was just not great. Whereas this does a really nice job of floating up the top theme. So it just launched and it was it was a kind of a crazy thing to do because I was I'm you know, I had never done anything like it. In the, and I just started it this summer after I really understood the power of some of the um, language models and the clients that I uh, have gone through it so far have loved it. They've sound, found a lot of insight in it and they kind of can't believe how insightful it has been. So I would encourage everyone to check it out. It's at feedbackfriend.ai. And uh, it's a little nerve wracking, right, to ask people for some feedback. I actually did it with my family and I got some really great, interesting feedback from my my family. Um, but professionally, you know, I think it's really critical. I mean, you have a, you know, if you close out a project, you know, you look at your metrics for that project, whether you're on time, on budget, on, but do you really, but, but how do you look at how you perform together as a team or how you led that team or, or how you communicated? And there's so much good advice kind of out there that people are not able to really share with you unless you ask. And sometimes it's a little sensitive. So it helps to have a, a forum to ask where it can be, you know, received in a, in a positive way. I can see that it's something that you're very infused by. I think out of all the questions I asked you, that was the way you lit up the most. You're like, oh. <laughs> it's exciting. It's new. So, uh, yeah, exactly. but I'm excited about uh, giving people the access. I mean, I have two uh, teenage boys. They're 20, turning 20 and uh, 16. And, you know, I see them, you know, even in schools, projects or in like early in the workforce, not getting feedback on things that, you know, they, they, it would help them to get some feedback. So I just think putting the opportunity in the hands of people who want the feedback to be able to initiate that rather than kind of depending on uh, potentially the work environment to provide that uh, or for people to be brave enough to kind of to, to say it. So anyway, I encourage people to try it. it. It's kind of a fun thing that we created. Amazing. Marissa, how do people find out more about you and how do they get in touch? Yeah, so my website is uh, leaderly.com and it's l-e-y so it's leader l-e-y.com and uh my i'm on linkedin is probably the primary place that i'm at so it's just marissa murray and uh yeah i think that's and then check out feedbackfriend.ai that's another place to find me and if you were going to give us one last thought so because i always think that podcasts are great right because you can listen back to them over and over again but i always think that it's good to kind of 
give give somebody something to either ponder, reflect upon, or or maybe do. So have you got like one maybe final like instruction or impartation that you wanna that you wanna share? Yeah, I think what I would encourage people to do is just recognize that your journey to your best leader is really your journey to your best human. It's your journey to your best parent. It's your journey to your best life. It's it's really the journey in terms of the fulfillment of what you are meant to contribute on this planet. And so I really recommend everybody think of themselves as a leader in training. We all are. I don't think it ends. I think we're constantly evolving. It's kind of this infinite aspiration. And when you sort of appropriate that as then everything can become a really nice learning experience. Every struggle can be kind of this, how is this evolving me as a leader, as a change agent in this world? Because our world needs leadership, so. It does. Oh, it's been really good, Marissa. Thank you so much for joining me on today's uh, Brains Magazine podcast. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.